We've all heard the apocalyptic predictions about social security, the national debt, and other major issues that are supposed to sink the economy. So do any of these predictions have any merit in the years ahead? On this episode, we'll try to separate sensationalism from reality on Retirement Success Blueprint. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the podcast. Once again, Michael Stewart and myself here to talk investing, finance, and retirement on Retirement Success Blueprint. And we're going to talk about apocalyptic predictions ever coming true. Do they ever actually, you know, kind of come true? We kind of talked about the economy a couple of weeks ago and the boomer bust and kind of getting off into the new year, Mike. And so it just kind of seemed like a, a follow up for that in January, since January is kind of you know a little colder, a little gloomier, so on and so forth before we get into the more optimistic stuff. Uh, so I thought, well, this would be an interesting uh, kind of topic to go. So I've got some headlines, some various different predictions from things. And um, I just kind of want to get your take. We'll have a little fun with this this week. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. We're wrapping up uh, January here and just uh, happy to get through it. Yeah, it's like, it's cold. It's kind of, you know, January <laughs> sees, January kind of gets the short end of the stick in some ways, right? Even if February is the shorter month because it's like, oh man, January, it's the new year. And it's like we start off really excited at the new year for about a week, right? <laughs> and then everybody goes, oh. It's cold and dreary and blah, blah, blah. You have to go back to work, you know, so you have to, especially when the holiday falls weird like it did this year on a Monday. And so that whole first week feels like a shorted kind of holiday week. So, it's, you know, it just kind of gets chipped, I think January does. Agreed. Unless you go to like something cool like the Detroit uh, Auto Show or something in January. That's pretty <laughs> fun. Uh, all right. So let's get into this a little bit. Social Security is going broke. I, I teed that up in the teaser there. It's been talking about that forever. It seems like that's been the big conversation, and they're going to cut everyone's benefit. Well, I mean, this is actually true, right? So it's not necessarily an apocalyptic prediction. It's actually true, but will they allow it to kind of stay or or maintain, I guess, is the question, right? Because it, it does have financial problems for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. We talk to the clients all the time because, of course, those you know nearing retirement and retirement, all of a sudden, there's, you know, you're getting your Social Security statement saying in 2033, 2034, Benefits are going to get cut by a quarter, you know, by 25% if they don't make any significant changes because right. basically, though, you know, the the till will be empty at, the, at that point. So they're going to have to just to, you know, maintain it. It's going to have to do that. And that is true. That is a mathematical certainty. Uh, in fact, it's accelerating because with the cost of living adjustments and other kind of things being made, um, they're paying out more than they even anticipated. So it's actually shortening that time frame. Now, in typical political fashion, uh, they've just for, you know, for 2030, this is nothing new. And as you mentioned, 20, 30, 40 years, they keep talking about how it's going to go broke and they just keep edging closer to this, you know, this super date that's coming up pretty quick. But the reality is, you know, there's two things. The political side of it is they're not going to let that happen because everybody will get voted out of office. You know, so they're just not going to do it. Right. The, the other political side of it is that um, nobody's wanted to touch it because, you know, to make any other changes would get them voted out of office. You know, so so either way, they can't win as a politician either way. But, you know, I, I think where the real argument and debate should center around is until we figure out what the you know the hundred year fix is for this, whether it's Social Security or some other alternative, right? What can we do in the next 10, 20, 30 years to live up to the promises of those that are you know within twenty years or so of retirement? 
um, that you know they've saved based on understanding what the rules are. And that's really just some minor tweaks. So how there's a number of those, right? There's a number of things out there that get floated. But to your point, like, are they going to do it or are they going to wait to the last second to do one? No, absolutely. And, and just a, a few examples of those would be, you know, right now, you know, as an employee, you pay 6.2% into Social Security, mm-hmm. you know, that comes out of your paycheck. Most right. people don't know that your employer also pays 6.2%. So right. 12.4% is going to Social Security on your behalf between the employee and employer. Um, you know, so, so there's things out there. What if each paid an extra 0.2%? You know, or just one of the side did that would add another 15, 20 years to Social Security without making cuts. Crazy, right? Current, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's little thing. I mean, it's still painful, but it's something. Uh, you know, it's better than cutting benefits. Well, I mean, point quarter. two though. If it's that's you, you wouldn't really even notice that. No, a- absolutely, and it's all pre-tax and things yeah. too, so you'd save some money there. Yeah. Uh, the, the another side is right now, if you're born from 1960 or later, then 67 is your full retirement age. So my kids that are in their early and mid 20s. 67 is a retirement age. I'm 53 years old and 67 is my retirement age. Right, and somebody born today, 67 is their full retirement age. Well, because we're all living longer, then why wouldn't someone say, hey, you know, you could still retire at 62. You just get, you know, reduced benefit like it is today. But the full retirement age for somebody maybe 20, you know, is 70 now instead of 67. That itself adds another Which is what they did in Social France, Security. right? That's what they did in France this past summer was they they raised their pensionaire age, uh, age uh, and to, to combat that same exact situation. And they had, you know, obviously they had a lot of pushback on that, but that's what they had to do. No, absolutely. Yeah, there were riots in the streets and everything yeah, else. And, yeah. I th- and I think they were going from like 62 to 64 or something. Yeah, it know? wasn't so. much. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> silly. And, and you know, even the early one, I've heard something that, you know, just even eliminating the early 62 and moving that to even 64, right? Just pushing that back two years would add, you know, a number of years to the bottom line. So no, absolutely. And the, and the whole point on, on this discussion is that there are minor things. Now they're going to impact people differently. But if, if even if they go back and say, you know, hey, anybody who's 30 today or 40 today, don't worry. The rules are the same because you haven't had enough time to adjust, mm-hmm. you know, as far as your spending, your saving and those things. But somebody who's 30 or 20 or a newborn today, you've got most of your life ready. So if you want to retire early, you can. Yeah. Just don't count on taking Social Security early. Just yeah. save more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could easily see them putting a grandfather clause in and saying people 40 or 45 and over are going to stay in the old system, the current system, and people under the age of 40 or whatever, right? Uh, and then make those changes. And and unfortunately, they'll probably wait until uh, you know 2030. <laughs> <laughs> to make that decision, uh, if uh, you know if the, if the money looks fine until then, they'll wait till the, pretty much the last minute, the last couple of hours uh, before they make some decisions. So, yeah, it's a big scary one, and there's some truth in it. But uh, to your point, I don't think anyone lets wants to be the politician that lets it happen, and they also don't want to be the one that you know fixes it just in case it goes bad. So it'll be a last minute thing. Uh, all right, so that's one. National debt is out of control. Well, that's that's accurate. <laughs> and tax rates are going to go through the roof at some point. Now, this is a again, this is a real possibility as well. And and people tend to forget that we've had some pretty astronomical tax rates in this country through the years. No, absolutely. We've had you know. There's I'll share a couple things with you, but you know, I mean, where, where's the real big problem? The real big problem is you know up until 2022, you know, the most recent you know kind of market you know uh, event that we've had you know from a crash that was the entire year is from 2009 through even last year 2023. We've only had 2018 and 2022 that were significantly down years in the market. So we've had a full bull run, you know, for the last almost 14 years with only a couple of years that the market stubbed its toe. 
And in that solid economy, one of the you know second best bull market in history, um, we have gone from nine trillion dollars in debt to thirty two trillion dollars in debt as as a country. It's re- it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's because you know what we just keep printing more money. We keep printing more money, which leads to inflation and other kind of things. But the thing here is, so the government at some point either you know because we're not going to have a ba- we haven't had a balanced budget since you know a very short window during the Clinton administration, is that they either have to cut spending, which they're not going to do, <laughs> or raise taxes, which they don't want to do, or both. So the reality is you're going to cut services, you're going to you know cut spending, or you're going to raise taxes. Those are the only three ways to get out of this hole, other than kind of print your way out of it, but that's got its own kind of thing. So the, the reality is you've got a few different things coming up. In January 1st, 2026, and I know there's talk amongst Congress, so the election will help determine this, is... The TCJA, well, they also call the Trump tax cuts, expire. And then what happens is tax rates go back to where they were in 2017. So they made the business tax cuts semi-permanent. And then in order to make the spreadsheet work for the government, they had to make the consumer tax cuts expire or sunset in 10 years. So everybody's tax rates are going to go up another 3 4 5% plus, plus the bands that they use, like what level of income that takes you from one to the next are going to shrink which means you'll jump through higher tax brackets a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's already going to happen in 2026 unless Congress does something. And what does Congress do well? Do it. They do nothing very well. Right. So so that's likely going to happen. So the national debt, is it out of control? Absolutely. Are tax rates going up? They have to because we have to, you know, we're at we're at near historic, you know, for the last 50 years with the lowest tax rates that we've had. Uh, I'll, I'll share one quick story with you. There was, you know, Ronald Reagan and, you know, many of our listeners, you know, know Ronald Reagan and that. Uh, and most of them don't remember him as the actor before he became the governor of California and then the president. So uh, tax rates were at 90 percent when he was at his heyday. Yes, he post-war, one, right? Post-World War yeah, II. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And then so he would make one movie a year. And he was the most popular actor at that time. So he could have made three, five, ten, however many he wanted to, to get, you know, look back up the bus and, you know, make all kinds of money. And then when they interviewed him said, why, you know, you're so popular. Why do you only make one movie? And he made about a million dollars per movie. And he said, because if I make more than a certain amount, if I make more than one movie, 90 cents of every dollar goes to taxes. So why would I possibly work harder? And you got to worry about that when it comes to our economy, when it comes to business owners, things like that. If you make the tax code because of the national debt just so egregious that it discourages individuals wanting to do better, individuals wanting to work because a majority is now going specifically to the government, mm-hmm. you know, or to social services or wherever yeah. it happens to go that they don't agree with. The reality on that is that you're going to disincentivize hard work at some point. Yeah, dangerous, slippery slope for sure, right? Uh, especially with what we've been seeing the last couple of years with the whole work issues anyway ever since COVID. So definitely a slippery, a slippery slope to walk down. Uh, the climate change conversation, right? Another apocalyptic conversation is that it's a serious problem and the economy needs to be overhauled to deal with it. And it's becoming super polarized as to where the people are like, you know, a lot of folks are like, hey, this is just all a money-making scam. This is all just a, a way to, you know, charge more taxes or do more of this or whatever uh, without making any real change because we can change everything that we want over here in this country, but if half the other world is still polluting, what difference does it make? You know, so, you know, there's a lot of conversation here too. No, absolutely. I think some of the things that you you run into is that a lot of times it it has become political rather than environmental. Yeah. Uh, and and some of the fixes are the the cure is worse than the disease. You know, a good example is 
the big talk of electric vehicles and trying to push them in before 2030. You know, California's got some rules requiring that, you know, that even even commercial trucks and things have to be there. The thing is, nobody actually looks behind the scenes and says, well, what's the environmental impact on mining rare earth minerals, you know, for the batteries? What's the if the batteries only typically last about 10 years and then they got to replace, what's the cost associated with that? And then what and happens to all those batteries yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, that are, that are going to be in the environment for the next 2000 years or so. Yeah. And it, once again, I'm not anti EV or something like that, but you know, and I, I can't remember his last name. Uh, Ed, Ed Begley, maybe is the guy's name or something. Uh, Ed, Ed was the first name, forgot his last name, you know, but he, he's been calling, he's a Hollywood actor, you know, throughout the eighties and then, you know, an act, environmental activist throughout uh-huh. the eighties and the nineties. And the first one to drive, you know, the really tiny electric cars back then. And his and his whole thing is, you know, we're all going to be dead if we don't fix all this kind of stuff. Well, technology ha- tends to have a way to kind of work through some of these kind of things. And, you know, and another thing, we're just having a client, one of our clients is an executive at one of the major oil companies. And he was just talking about the way that the, the government works is the fact that, you know, why is oil prices going from $70 to $100 and all these big wild swings and things. And the government's like, well, you need to pump more. You need to do more exploration and, you know, you know, to even out the supply chain associated with oil, especially, you know, when you have a lot of need from foreign foreign entities and some of the political instability going on there. And then he said, well, wait a second. And this whole climate change and environmental and anti-oil and anti-petroleum you know, petroleum kind of things, two things get lost. One, almost petroleum's in almost everything, you know, from your plastics yep. to your rubbers to all those kind of things. Those electric cars and, that they want so much has a whole lot of petroleum in it. No, absolutely. And the second thing is you're getting on the oil companies for not investing billions and billions of dollars in what's going to be, you know, a 5, 10, 15-year project when the government's outlook is to say, what we're really trying to do is, you know, wean people off fossil fuels. But if you wouldn't mind putting these billion dollars, so in the meantime, we're going to be okay, you know, and, and but we're trying to kind of cut you out at the knees, you know, 10 years from now. Right. And then that's why they're not making those those investments, because it's contradictory to what, you know, not only their fiduciary, you know, standard as owners of the company or, you know, leadership of the oil companies. But at the same time, the government is, you know, has a destructive path for them five tiers five ten years down the road where they're never going to get that money back yeah and you know and we've turned everything into such a political or such a you know hot button issue everybody wants to protest this and this this that and the other but we never do any real you know my wife is in the is in environmental safety and health uh, industry and she's like the problem is is we never really look more you know forward more than 18 months 24 months at the max we don't really do truly long-term projections for things when we make these decisions and and it's just like the batteries. It's like, great. Okay, fine. It's a short-term fix, possibly. But what happens in 10 years? What happens in 15 years? What happens in 20 years? You know, with, you know, thousands or millions of batteries all around. Uh, it's just like the windmill problem, right? We have, you know, we go to these windmills, but then when the windmills break and die down, they just lay there. You know, so we don't we don't look forward enough, I think, a lot of times and how to deal with some of these things. And that's why it becomes more political, I think, and of the moment than anything else. But who knows, right? We'll see how it goes. But it, it, it certainly factors into, uh, you know, how people want to push different things, especially in the uh, stock market world, like ESG, things of that nature. So let's do one more, Mike, and then we'll take an email question as we usually do. Uh, runaway inflation is going to rock this economy for years to come. Well, certainly people were worried about that, but maybe that's ebbing off. 
Yeah, yeah, inflation's come down. I, I think as as the time we're, we're recording this here, you know, inflation inflation's still a little bit above three percent or so. If we just go back six twelve months, you know, it was at seven and nine, and you know, coming off of that, it just as we were working off a lot of the excesses that were created by the government's response and stimulus and that to COVID. So for about you know three years, inflation just spiked. You know, the Fed called it you know potentially transitory. Uh, a lot of people thought transitory meant like three months, not three years right. you know, on there. Right. So, you know, so they never really defined well, what that timeline was. And they listed it three or whatever it might be, three at the time we're doing this, three and a half, four, whatever. But I, I think there's still a lot of things that are still quite a bit higher than that, right? And that's where people get frustrated, too, is because it's like, okay, you can call it three all day long, but I can go to the grocery store and tell you that this food or that food or the other is way more than three, right? And that's what regular folks are worried about. No, no, absolutely. Because because what the when people see that, so you know, so let's say inflation over the summer was seven and it came down to four and now it's down to three-ish or so, you know, the government wants to try to get it down to two-ish. You know, those are just arbitrary numbers. But but what people don't fathom, but to your point, what they what they actually see and where their money goes is so it went from seven to three. Okay, great. That that's positive. That just means that everything is still more expensive, 3% more expensive than it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. And when it was 7, it, that just means everything was 7% more expensive than it was the prior yeah. year. Right. So inflation is cumulative in the fact that if one year you have 6% inflation, the next year you have 4%, the next year you have 3 everything is still 13% more expensive exactly. by year 3. So it's coming down, but it's still higher because until it's negative – then you're actually still paying that prior inflation rate in addition to the new higher costs as well. So yeah. that's where a lot of people look at inflation as you know what you call the silent thief. So up until the last three years, where it's kind of spiked its head back above that two three percent. Now you know certain areas of the economy have always had higher, like healthcare and education and other kind of things. Right. But if we just go with the government's number of that two three percent, you know, over the last twenty plus years, what you have is individuals who really haven't had to deal with inflation in the aggregate, your food and and energy and all those kind of things for decades now. And this is the first time in the last few years that people have actually had to start dealing with inflation. Whereas some of our clients that may be closer to retirement age, they remember the 70s and the early 80s when you had double digit in the teens inflation. And they understand, you know, how devastating that can be on your spending and on your budget and on your lifestyle. Yeah, you know, and and so I think that's that. While on its surface, that statement might be like, yeah, it's going to rocket for years to come. It it's probably actually fairly accurate because it does. To your point, it's cumulative. It takes a while for it to all work its way back down. So uh, you know, it's understandable why people you know react to these things, and of course, they make these headlines to get you to react. So ultimately, at the end of the day, you got to have a plan. You got to have a strategy. I mean, you know, we you know we're going to say that, folks, right? That's, that's the point of the conversation. It's called the Retirement Success Blueprint. So if you need some help, again, make sure that you're talking with a qualified professional like Mike and his team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial, uh, especially when it comes to some of the things that we can't control and we do worry about through our retirement years, like taxation and inflation. Uh, you can you can reach out to him at crystallaketax.com. And don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple, Google, or Spotify. Real quick, I know we're going a little bit long. Let's knock out a quick email question from Kathleen in Barrington. Uh, and she says, uh, I love the podcast, and I'm a little worried, guys. I've been retired for two weeks, and I'm already starting to panic about being on this fixed income and looking for part-time job opportunities. Is it a normal reaction to panic? Kathleen, this is not uh, unusual at all. Uh, we, we A couple weeks ago when we were talking about Sherry and Will met, it's a very similar kind of conversation. And, and, and it has to do with the mental aspect of it, right? You've been a good saver your entire life, and then now all of a sudden you've got to be a spender. 
right? All of a sudden the paycheck goes away. So you're saying, well, how am I supposed to pay my bills? I own these stocks, these bonds, these annuities, this life insurance, whatever it happens to be, I own this stuff. But nobody's ever kind of shown you how to get consistent income over time, independent of whatever's going on in the market. So, you know, when we put together what we call our retirement success blueprint, you know, that's our proprietary financial planning process. The first thing that we start with is your actual income plan. You see, most people have an investment plan, and that's where they get this junk drawer of stuff they've been sold over the years. They got their 401ks, they got their IRAs, they got annuities, they got all these kind of things, but nobody's ever actually showed them how all that stuff is supposed to work together, or even if it does work together. They've just been sold stuff. When we go through the income plan, we sit back and we say, okay, what level of income do we need? What sources do we have? What's our spousal plan? When do we claim Social Security? And we tie all that in together. So now we have an idea of why we're making the choices, why we own the things that we do, Kathleen. So then that way, you're not concerned about how you're going to pay your bills. You're not going to get a little edgy when the markets are, you know, going going down or that because you understand where your income's coming from. You know, now after we do that, then we talk about investments and taxes and your estate plan and long-term care and all those. But it always starts with your income plan because in retirement, income's the outcome. If you don't have consistent income that you can count on in retirement, there is no retirement. So Kathleen, give us a call. We'll walk you through that blueprint process and then just make sure that you have confidence and clarity about where your income's coming from so you can enjoy the retirement that you deserve. All right. Thanks so much, Kathleen, for listening to the podcast. We certainly appreciate it. And again, folks, if you'd like to subscribe or check out the podcast or other tools, tips, and resources, find it all at Mike's website, crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. Mike, thanks for hanging out, my friend. I will see you in a couple of weeks and we'll talk again. All right. Enjoy it, Mark. We'll catch you next time here on the Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart, founder at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Source. The Retirement Income Source and Sound Income Strategies, LLC are associated entities.